Hello, everybody, and welcome to In-Depth, presented by the San Antonio Express News. My name is Luis Vasquez, and I'll be your host as we bring in journalists to give us an inside perspective into the stories they bring to the Express News each week. Today, I'm joined by courthouse reporter Elizabeth Zavala. She joins the show today to talk about the capital murder trial of Otis McCain, accused of killing Detective Benjamin Marconi while he worked as a patrol officer on duty. Welcome back to the show, Liz. How are you doing today? It's been a while. It has been a while, Luis. It's good to get back to uh, uh, some sense of normalcy after uh, the pandemic has uh, hopefully started to dissipate. Actually, that before we get into the court case, let me ask you, how normal has it been? Have you been going to the courthouse in person and covering this? I have. In fact, it was it was kind of a... I feel like I've been thrust back into normalcy because I have been working mostly from home, like most people have since last year. But as uh, I became vaccinated and the COVID numbers began to, uh, you know, subside in, in San Antonio and Bear County, I was going to the courthouse a couple of times a week. But when this trial began uh, last Monday, uh, it was basically back to normal. It was being at the courthouse at 845 in the morning, being there all day, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, it was, I, there's a phrase that people use and I'm, it's like not with me right now, but I feel like I was, uh, you know, like a kid that was learning how to swim, you get thrown into the deep end. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's exactly how it felt. Well, um, we were texting a little while ago and you said, unfortunately, you can write about this story in your sleep. Um, for those of us who aren't covering this as extensively as you can, you just give us a quick primer about this, this uh, court case, of Otis McCain and, you know, Detective Benjamin Marconi. Yes, um, I, I will never forget this day, Luis, because uh, on November 20th, 2016, I was the Sunday day editor in charge at the Express News. And I had just gotten out of church and was about to sit down and have lunch with my family when I received a text on my phone that there was an officer down and I needed to start my shift immediately. So what happened that day was Detective Benjamin Marconi, an officer in the special victims unit at the time, was working an overtime patrol shift on, on Sunday, November 20th, 2016. He was shot at around 838 that morning while he sat in his patrol car outside public safety headquarters as he wrote a traffic citation after pulling somebody over. Jurors were able to see that as the trial opened. And it was a very emotional scene for everyone because as, as you, you know, you hear 2016, this happened, you know, five years ago, uh, almost six. And he, um, it, it was just something that just devastated the entire San Antonio community because of how it happened. Um, the police officer, like I said, was writing a citation. And by all accounts, from viewing testimony in the form of video this week, he never even saw it coming. This was one of the trials that was supposed to go on last year, but was delayed. Is that correct? 
Yes. In fact, on March 6th of 2020 was the day that the special panel that had been called to hear this case was meeting in the jury room at the Bear County uh, Justice Complex. And I say it's a special panel because this is a death penalty case. The uh, DA, um, in fact, Joe Gonzalez, the current DA, and uh, the DA before him had said that they would pursue the death penalty in this case because an officer was shot in the line of duty. When you have a death penalty case, you have to have a special panel of people. Normally, they call about a thousand people. And from that panel, they will whittle it down until they find uh, they're able to do interviews and find a panel of 12 jurors and two alternates who will hear this case. So they began March 6th with the idea that it would take probably about close to a month to seat the jury. Well, if you recall, about a week later, I believe it was March 13th was when everything as we knew it back then that was normal came to a screeching halt because of this thing called coronavirus. So they had to stop the proceedings at that point and it became something that every couple of months they would try again and they tried, you know, to seat that jury in in different ways. They, you know, everybody started using Zoom. Um, things were starting to be conducted more on a uh, technology level because, you know, you couldn't have a whole lot of people in in one place at the same time, because normally when Bear County calls juries, you know, calls people to jury duty, you could get about 1200 people on a Monday. So that's, that's a lot of people. So they, this, the choosing of this jury pretty much lasted from March 6th with a couple of recesses, if you will, until they were finally able to choose the jury a few months ago in April. So at that point, when they chose the jury, it was just a matter of time before the COVID numbers were better that, and, and the judge, uh, the administrative judge, who happens to also be the presiding judge in this case by pure coincidence, Judge Ron Runghell, uh, came up with, with uh, some protocols that could um, help people to remain you know, uh, that they, they wouldn't be able to get sick because of COVID-19. So in the span of a year, you've seen the courthouse go from just a regular courthouse to a facility now that has, you know, hand sanitizer stations every couple of feet. Uh, the, the restrooms have been redone to where, you know, you don't have paper towels anymore. You've got you know, you don't, you don't have to touch the faucets. You just hold your hands underneath. You get soap. You hold your hands underneath. You put your hands inside this thing that blows them dry. So there were a lot of things that had to be done at the courthouse to prepare for trials, any trial. And because this is the one that they were actually able to choose a jury panel in advance, it's 
it's I consider this to be probably the the biggest high profile trial so far that has been held in Bear County. Oh wow! Just, they just had to get those precautions in place before they felt comfortable enough to do so. Yes, and it's you know it's it, Bear County does not ask people if they've been vaccinated. They just have signage on the doors that say. If you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. If you are unvaccinated, you should practice social distancing and wear a mask. We're so, going on the honor system. On the honor system. So, you know, fingers crossed right there. So let's talk about the trial itself. Um, in your article, you mentioned uh, Lieutenant Brent Bell. And can you tell me a little bit about his testimony uh, on uh, Friday, was it? Yes. Lieutenant Brent Bell actually worked with Sar- with uh, Detective Marconi uh, in the Special Victims Unit. And on the day of the shooting, he happened to be uh, working there on duty at Public Safety Headquarters. And he was actually became in charge of SAPD's command center, which they put together right after the shooting to coordinate the investigation. And this happened at such a time, Luis, that it seemed that there had been a trend that was happening at that time where police officers appeared to be getting targeted just randomly. When Detective Marconi was killed, this investigation not only went local with Bear County Sheriff's Office of, of deputies, but we're talking Texas Department of Public Safety and several national law enforcement agencies were on hand. The FBI, Department of Homeland Security, even Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission and the Bureau of Ac- Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms and Explosives. Uh, they just, you know, at that point, they did not realize whether the person who shot Detective Marconi was acting alone or if he was part of some sort of coordinated effort. I I think about that day as just chaos because I'm on Twitter a lot. And so I remember the uncertainty of that day for me as a civilian and reading your article and reading about that day and thinking of like what officers must have thought that day and like the anxiety they must have been going through if everything was magnified times a thousand for them. Yes, it it really was. I, I will say that there was just gobs and gobs of video. And, and that is really, that is really an amazing thing for me because I mean, you think about this shooting happening in front of public safety headquarters You can't, I just could not believe how much video that captured what happened that day. You have cameras all around public safety headquarters and that are actually on the building. You have cameras on top of the roof. You have cameras on the street lights that, that are outside of public safety headquarters and if you recall where that building is on South Santa Rosa, which is very, very close to where I-10 and I-35 kind of merge, you're, you're, you're 
either close to getting to where you can go to Austin or to Houston, or you can go west, you know, on I-10. There's cameras all over the place, Lise, all over the place. And I think to me, that was one of the chilling things about this was that uh, Otis McCain was alleged or is alleged to have been all around that building. I say alleged because I'm used to writing that to not convict someone yet, but he has been identified by so many people who saw him that day. There were so many witnesses to this shooting. I think 30 witnesses you wrote, close to 30 witnesses for the state have testified so far. So far. And I'm hearing that there could be about another 30. I mean, it's just one of those things where you think, my gosh, so many people saw this. And then the video captured so much of that day. And it's just to me, I just I just could not believe that, you know, you never see this much evidence in any other and, and I even hate to say it this way, and I don't say it out of respect, out of disrespect, but you never see this much video in just a regular homicide or a, you know a murder case. It, it, it was just, I mean, I, I don't even have any words for it. It was, it, it was just incredible. And because of the amount of evidence, how long is this trial expected to last? I'm hearing possibly about three weeks. And, and I've covered trials for about six years now. And, you know, sometimes there's a normal routine as to how things go. Um, But there's so much to look at here. It it seems that we're almost based on any other case where we feel like we're a little behind on what media is, is reporting for the community in court, specifically because there's so much evidence. You know, we've heard We've seen videos of um, the actual traffic stop from the rooftop of, of public safety headquarters that actually shows a black car pull up behind a squad car that is that had just stopped someone else. You see a person get out, run toward the officer. It's a little a little far away, but you can see that there is some sort of interaction at the at the at the driver's side door of the patrol car, and then a person running back to their car, speeding off, making a turn into public safety headquarters, and crashing through two traffic arms because that parking lot that the assailant drove through is is one of the parking lots at the side of public safety headquarters because there's also a parking garage there. So a lot of the people who work in that building park in that garage, but there's also a street parking lot that they park in. And that is the route that the assailant took to get out. So you see that we also heard, um, body camera audio and saw body camera video from the first officers who were in different places, you know, arriving at the scene. So you hear things like, I have an officer down at, at headquarters. You see a video from a bicycle officer, Gustavo Segura, 
who is peddling for his life. You can tell because you're seeing it from his video, his body worn camera, and he's riding his bike. You can see the you can see the, the, the jumpiness on the video. You can hear him yelling at people to get out of the way because he's going in the sidewalk and then he's going back in the street to avoid pedestrians and he's trying to avoid cars and he's, he's just peddling for his life. And, you know, he, he was one of the, and, and in the meantime, you know, you say chaos. I mean, these videos shown from above after the shooting happened, you see, you see officers running out of police, public safety headquarters. And you see an incredible amount of bystanders, people who were just driving by, just regular people from out of town in San Antonio to walk down the river or to go see the Alamo. And they just do U-turns and they stop and they come to see what happened to that officer. The um, One of the last things I want to really ask you about, and, and you mentioned it in the article, uh, this was a very brazen attack. I mean, I mean, the understatement of the century there, but like the, you mentioned the last death penalty case. Is that in San Antonio? You mean the last death penalty case in San Antonio was 2015? Yes. Yes. That was the killing of Bear County Sheriff Sergeant Kenneth Van. This happened in the wee hours of the morning on, I believe, uh, May 28th, 2011. He was sitting at a stoplight at Rigsby near um, South Loop 410 when um, a truck pulled up next to him and he was shot 25 times. And that officer was almost decapitated from the bullets that came from an AR-15. Mark Anthony Gonzalez was convicted of killing him and is currently on death row. Wow. Well, um, that that makes this another. That's another reason why it's a it's a high profile. It's the last one since the last one. Yes, this this is. I mean, there have been you know, there have been several people who have been charged with capital murder. Um, obviously, throughout the years, um, but you know, the death penalty. Uh, D.A. Joe Gonzalez has said is is reserved for the worst of the worst. And, you know, you you say brazen. It's it's just yes, brazen is a good word. It's it's incredible to me how much Otis McCain was captured in video, not only on that day, but the next day when he was arrested, he was actually seen that morning walking into the Paul Elizondo tower with his now wife to get a marriage license. And I I mean, and he was also captured on video on someone's surveillance videos on the West side, parking his car several blocks away from where he was staying, just leaving it there and walking down the street. I've seen a lot of surveillance video in trials that I've covered, but I've never seen a suspect captured on video as much as I have in this case. Well, Liz, uh, I'm sure we're going to talk about this one more time, um, at least. Uh, so I think this is a good place to, to end it. I really appreciate all your insights and, um, 
it, it must be hard to cover this. This is something that I'm sure is going to stick with you. You see a lot of graphic images on the, in the courthouse. Uh, so I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about it again, even though you've been writing extensively about it. So again, thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Luis. It's, it's been, you know, it's, it is hard. It's been hard for media, but you know, you can't help but feel so terrible for the family members who, who have to sit there and watch something happening to their loved one. Absolutely. It, it was so graphic on the first day with video that one of the jurors ran out of the courtroom and became physically ill. So we'll talk about this again. And uh, thanks for having me.